Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's open the Word of God to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And I'm glad we have the Word of God today, aren't you? Hope and I were talking this past week about just living the Christian life and staying close to God and different things like that. And during that conversation, I was thinking about the saints of God that we read about, Moses and Daniel and Elijah all these great people that we would hold up on a pedestal, you know, the, the great saints of God, the ones that God used to bring miraculous delivery and all of these kind of things. We read about them in Scripture with such admiration. And I think, you know, man, they, they didn't even have a Bible to go to. They didn't have a Bible to read at leisure. They, they didn't have a Bible to, you know, to have personal devotions every day. And look how they stood for the Lord. What a great testimony they are to us. But you know, at the same time, how much more should we be for the Lord because we have the Word of God? And we, we can read it every day. We can go to it when we have questions or problems or burdens. And we can be reminded of, of the promises of God. And we can take to heart the words of Scripture. And uh, boy, that should just, it should just make us better Christians, shouldn't it? Better followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 1, I trust that's what the message today will help do. Just get us a little closer to the Lord in our walk and uh, the things that we ought to know and carry out in our Christian life. If you found your place, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to pray and then read one verse together, verse 12. And so let's have a word of prayer. Father, how we love you today and how we thank you for your Word. And we do pray, Lord, you'd use the Scriptures today to strengthen, to encourage our hearts. Lord, to speak to us as only you can. Lord, to give us comfort and guidance and help us grow in our faith and in our walk with you. And we just ask you, dear Holy Spirit, be our teacher and guide through the scriptures. Bless the reading of your word today to our hearts. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 1, let's look at verse 12 together. Paul, writing here to young Timothy, says, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. What a great, precious promise from Scripture. Let's read that once again. Paul says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. So I want to preach a message I've entitled, Three Types or Three Examples of Commitment, from this passage of Scripture. Three Examples of Commitment. Thank you. You may be seated. What a beautiful verse of Scripture. Paul says about the Lord Jesus Christ that he keeps his commitments. He said, I know that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Hey, aren't you glad that's true? <laughs> aren't you glad Paul wrote that verse in the Bible? What a, what a relief, right? I'm so glad that when it comes to that which I've committed to him, which is what? 
It's, it's our soul's salvation. Paul's writing about the fact that he had trusted Christ as his Savior, and, and he had given that matter to the Lord Jesus, who now is able to keep that against that day. Well, that day, that judgment day, when I stand before him, I'm going to stand before him as a child of God because I've already committed my soul's salvation to his hands. Now, I'm glad Paul's saying a lot here without, without really going into detail. He, he's telling us that this is a matter that is kept by God, not by us. Can I have an amen right there? Aren't you glad that your salvation doesn't depend on you? Because if it did, it might not be eternal. There's a reason why the Bible calls it eternal life. It's not temporary life. It doesn't last until next week. It doesn't last until you hit your finger with the hammer. Amen. A little humor, okay. I'm, it's all right. You, you know, let's think about the practicalities of this and what a relief. Because the Bible says, what we've given to the Lord, He is able to keep it. Oh, listen, that is such a beautiful truth. Now, I hadn't planned to do this, but since we're talking about it, would you turn with me for a moment and uh, let me go over to the books of Peter. I think it's 1 Peter. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Just hold your place there in 2 Timothy. And let's go over to 1 Peter. Paul and Peter are going are gonna to say the same thing right here. And I'd just like to show it to you. In verse 3 of chapter 1, verse 2, he's talking to the elect. That's the saved. Verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's talking about our salvation. He's begotten us. In verse 4, he says he's begotten us to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. He's talking about our, our reservations in heaven. That's our salvation he's talking about. And in verse 5, look what he says about that. He says, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So what... Peter is saying is the same thing Paul said. He's saying that God is the one who keeps our salvation. It's not us holding on to him, but it's him holding on to us. <laughs> Amen. His grip is a lot better than mine. And I'm so glad that this, this all-important matter of our soul salvation, once we commit that, is in his hands, not mine. Oh man, listen, that is so good. Such a relief. This is why the Bible says that you can know you have eternal life. Not think so, hope so, maybe so, guess so, trying hard. Nuh uh. You can know that you're on your way to heaven. Because when you commit this to Jesus Christ, when you come to him and ask for salvation, Jesus said, he that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. He doesn't turn anyone away. So when you come to him in faith and you ask him to save you, he does. And when he does, he becomes the keeper of that commitment. Not you. Oh, I like that. 
because it takes that whole burden of worrying about whether I've been good enough, faithful enough, long enough. It takes all that off my shoulders. And it means that He is able, like Paul said, to keep that which I've committed in Him against that day. Hey, I'm so glad about that. The reality of this truth this morning is that God keeps His commitments. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, Paul highlights this truth for Timothy, but then he goes down a couple of verses later, and I'd like for you to look now at verse 14. Now, we can read 13 also. Paul says to Timothy, Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Jesus Christ. He's telling him to hold on to that. Keep that. And verse 14, That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. So in verse 13 and 14, what is Paul saying? He said in verse 12, God is keeping His commitments. Now he's saying, Timothy, hey, it's time for you to keep yours. So I want us to look at three types of, three examples of commitment. Do we keep our commitments like we should? You know, the Bible talks about faithfulness. And we know God is faithful because He always does what He ought to do. God is faithful because He doesn't change. The Bible says yesterday, today, and forever, Jesus is the same. The Bible tells us that God is faithful. Hey, because of that, we can trust Him. We can count on Him. We can depend on Him because God is faithful. But listen, that's what God wants us to be. And if we're going to be Christ-like, you know, we talk about being Christ-like as believers, but being Christ-like, it means more than being nice to people. Being Christ-like means more than just being willing to forgive somebody. Being Christ-like means more than just being full of love and generosity and kindness. It also means being faithful. And it also means keeping our commitments. Let's look at some commitments uh, this morning. How committed are you to the Lord Jesus? The one who committed everything for you. How committed are you to Him? Think about that this morning. Well, I want to show you the first example. And this example is found in Acts chapter 15. And let's look at it there. Acts chapter 15, if you'll turn with me. We're going to look at verse 26. We want to look at the first example of commitment. And I want to show it to you because this is the example of surrender. The example of surrender. In Acts 15... In verse 26, notice what the Bible says. It talks about men. By the way, if you look at the end of verse 25, it names them Barnabas and Saul. So he's talking about these two men who were serving the Lord specifically. And it says this in verse 26, that they were men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. These two men, Barnabas and Saul, it says they hazarded their lives for our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, hey, could that be said of us this morning? That we've hazarded our lives? Well, that sounds like ferocious, doesn't it? That sounds like some kind of faith that, you know, you read about in the Bible. Well, no wonder they're in the Bible. That sounds like something in a movie. That sounds like, you know, something higher than where we live. Hazarded their lives. Well, we think, boy, those are, 
you know, those are rare occasions. Those are people that put their life on the line and so forth. And so that got me thinking and wondering about that. I looked up that word hazarded. They hazarded their lives. We know what hazards are, and we think about that, but sometimes our old English, right, sometimes it translates a little different than what we might think of today and the way we might use that word today. So I looked up that word hazarded, and it gave a couple of definitions that I wasn't expecting. They hazarded their lives. What does it mean? Well, the word hazarded there means committed. It means yielded. And I thought, wow, hey, wait a minute. All of a sudden, that makes sense. You know, people are faithful to the Lord that commit their lives to Him. People are faithful to the Lord who yield to Him. Not the ones who just put their life at risk for Him. Now, now there's a time when that happens. I understand that. Our, Our missionaries do that more often than we do. We have the blessed privilege of living in a country without persecution. We, we do see forms of persecution, but they're isolated events. They're here and there. Okay, it's, it's, it's nothing like what our missionaries experience around the world. But I wonder, we may not have risked our lives for Jesus, but have we committed our lives to Jesus? Have we yielded our lives to Jesus? Now I have to ask, you do know what yielding means, right? I have to ask that because even though that is a traffic function, I find when I get out in public that not a lot of people understand what that means. (laughs) Yielding, you know what I'm talking about, right? Amen? Yielding means you let somebody else go first in front of you. It means you yield to them. It's showing deference. It's putting someone ahead of yourself. And in this case, we're talking about putting Jesus ahead of yourself. We're talking about letting Him have His way in your life as opposed to you always having your way in life. Hey, I want to ask you this morning. Have you committed your life to the Lord? It says they hazarded their lives. It's talking about giving God His way. Have you given God His way in your life? I'm not talking about your soul's salvation. We already talked about that. If you're here today and you know Christ is your Savior, then you know that He is keeping that commitment. And when you die, you'll go to heaven based on what the Bible says and what Jesus did, not based on what you did. Because if you know that, and you've experienced salvation, then you already know, the Bible says, that we are sinners and guilty. We deserve death and hell as punishment. That's why Jesus died on the cross. Because He knew that's where we were headed. And without Him, we'd have no hope. We would all end up there. So Jesus came, and He gave Himself. He gave His life. He shed His blood on the cross to be that cleansing agent that could wash away our sin. That's why the songwriter said, what can wash away my sin? And the answer is, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. 
Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, listen, the blood of Jesus was shed so that you and I might have forgiveness and be saved. But listen, after that, you've committed your soul's salvation to Him, but have you committed your everyday life to Him? Now, I don't know. You may be sitting here this morning and you may be thinking, Pastor, that's a, that's a very elementary thought there for a Sunday morning. I mean, you know, I've been there, done that a long time ago, been there many times over. And to that, I would say... Praise God for you. But in my years of ministry experience, I've met a lot of people who've never heard of that. Sometimes people get the idea that when they get saved, it's like, whew, okay, hey, that's it. That's Christian life right there. I'm thinking, no, no, that's not the end. Man, that's just the beginning. You, you just stepped inside the doorway. And so what I'm asking you to do now is walk down the hall with Jesus a little bit. There's a lot more He wants you to experience. But you never will if you don't commit your life to Him. What does it mean to commit your life to Him? Well, it means to let Him lead. You know, the Bible has beautiful things to say about that. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leadeth me. Beside the still waters, right? We talk about beautiful language like that. I love the King James Bible, the beautiful poetic language of God, our shepherd, who leads us and guides us. When we're cast down, he sets us aright. Hey, listen, the Lord loves us. He does all of that. Have you given him the leadership in your life? Have you committed your life to him? Have you ever said, have you ever come to an altar and prayed and said, Lord, I want to do whatever you want me to do. Show me what it is. Have you ever said, Lord, I just want you to control my life? Lord, you lead me down the right paths. Lord, you show me what to do, and I'll do it. I want to commit my life to you. I want to live this life in a way that pleases you. So committing your life to the Lord means letting Him lead. And you know what it means? It, it means? it means living by His Word. You know, the Bible talks about living out our faith. We sing that song, I'm living by faith and feel no alarm. You know, we, we sing those words so easy, but are we really living by faith? Living by faith means, it means two things. It means I'm living in the way that God instructed and it also means I'm living in such a way that I'm trusting God with all the things that are beyond my control. I'm living by faith. That song talks about storms and all that that come. The tempest may blow, right? Obscuring the brightness of life. But that song says, I don't care because I'm living by faith. I know the Lord's got it all under control. The master looks on at the strife. We trust Him through all of the dark times of life because we know He's got it all in His hand. It's a powerful song, but it's a song that talks about what these men were doing in their life. The Bible says these were men, Barnabas and Saul, they were men that hazarded their lives. Now, these men gave their life to the Lord, and they did. They ended up on the mission field, like on the back wall right there. You know, people that we've seen come through. And so when you see these modern-day missionaries, 
you know that, uh, look, they didn't just get saved and God said, boop, missionary. (laughs) That's not how it works. They committed their life to the Lord first, and somewhere back when, they just started following God. And eventually, their path led them to surrender to serve on a foreign field. That's not for everybody. And if you don't want to serve on a foreign field, then probably that's not your path. Because every one of them, they want to. You know, the Bible says that it's God's will that works in us, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. You know what to will means? It means to want to. Paul said about preachers, he said, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. And you know, where does that desire come from? It comes from God working in your life, working in your heart. And when God has a plan for your life and a will for you to do something, then he gives you the desire to do it. I said all that because I want you to understand this. Don't let a fear or a lack of desire for some special thing, don't let that stop you from committing your life to the Lord. Don't say this morning, well, I I can't make that decision, Pastor, because I don't want to go to Africa. (laughs) Well, hey, guess what? If you don't want to go to Africa, that's probably not where you're going. God probably does not have a plan to send you there. That means it's safe for you just to go ahead and surrender right here in Deritter, and say, Lord, hey, I'm just going to serve you right here, right now. I'm just going to commit my life to you today and tomorrow. And, and I, looking ahead, I just, want you to, I just want you to take charge and lead me and guide me. And I want us to be on a journey like the Bible talks about for those who follow Jesus. I want to live my life like that. You know, and when we read about people in the Bible, we need to understand That's how they got there. You read about Paul and Barnabas and Moses and Daniel and these great men of God and women of God, you know, like Ruth and people who just followed the Lord and they found the will of God for their life. And we think, man, I wish I could find the will of God. Okay, hey, you ready? This is it. This is step one. Commit your life to the Lord. Hazard your life. Just put it out there. Say, Lord, hey, I'm giving it to you. I'm asking you to take control of my life. I want you to lead me and guide me and provide for me just like you did them. I just want to live for you. I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. You know, God might just want you to read your Bible. He might just want you to put something into practice that he's already taught you. God, he just might want you to invite your neighbor to church. How hard is that? Don't let some special thing that you're afraid of, like going to Africa, stop you from just committing your life to the Lord right here, right where you are. You see, the devil uses that reverse psychology on us a lot, and he keeps us from following Jesus because we're so afraid God's going to call me to be a preacher or God's going to do this or what. Listen, forget all that nonsense. Those doubtful and fearful thoughts aren't coming from God. Those thoughts that are stopping you from following the Lord and stopping Him from working your life, that's not from God. What God wants you to do is just just make a commitment to Him. Just follow Him. Just, just Just surrender your life and start letting Him lead. 
And then what you're going to find out later is you're going to end up in the will of God like Barnabas and Paul, like Peter and John, like Ruth, like Daniel, like, like those people that you read about in the Bible. And you desired, boy, I wish I could be in the will of God. Hey, listen, here's where you get in. You start by just giving the Lord leadership in your life. Have you ever committed your life to the Lord? If you've never made the decision to do that, and by the way, it is a decision. It's a decision that you, you have to make really not just once. But there is a one-time dedication where you begin this process of really letting God lead your life. It's got to start somewhere. And if you've never passed go on this, if you've never seen the green light, if you've never said yes to the Lord, I'm inviting you to do that today. The path to the will of God starts with your surrender to the Lord. Are you going to keep hold of the driver's wheel in your life and say, I'm going to do what I'm going to do? That's not real Christianity. Or are you going to give the steering wheel to God and say, Lord, I want to do what you want me to do. Now that is what the Bible talks about. That's what following Jesus really means. It's when he becomes not your co-pilot, but your pilot. Lord, I want you to lead. Hey, you'll be amazed where Jesus can take your life. You'll be amazed at the meaning and the progress you can make in your Christian life when you let him lead. If you've never made a decision to do that, I want to invite you to do that today. Commit your life to the Lord. Yield to him. And you're going to find when you do that, that choices and decisions are going to come up. Situations are going to arise where you're going to have to now stop and think, wait a minute, am I going to do what I want? Or am I going to do what God wants? Well, I'm going to do what God wants because I made that decision. I gave my life to Him. I let Him lead. Now I need to do what He wants. And sometimes you're going to have to seek him out to find out what that is. Sometimes you're going to have to give pause and not do the first thing that comes to your mind. You're going to have to spend a little time praying, seeking God. Lord, Lord, how do you want me to respond? What do you want me to do in this situation? What decision should I make? How should I proceed? You know, I believe God takes great delight in a Christian who loves God enough to say, Lord, what do you think? Before I act... Before I decide, I want to know what you want me to do. Man, that's good stuff. The example of surrender. There's a lot of Christians that don't realize that salvation and, and the surrendering of your soul and the surrendering of your life, they think it's all rolled into one. But I think for many, it isn't. I think surrender is another choice you have to make. Okay, I'm saved. Am I going to live for God now? Am I going to let Him lead me? Or am I going to make my own decisions? 
You know, the devil's the one that likes to get on your shoulder and says, have it your way. Do what you want to do. Is this really what you want? Hey, if you, if you really understand the Bible, <laughs> then you understand that we don't even know what we want. We don't even really know what we need. But God does. And we're better off when we trust His decision about those things. That's why the psalmist said, Lord, make me to go in the path of Thy commandments, for therein, he said, do I delight. He said, I'm happiest when I'm, when I'm walking with God and doing what God wants. But let me show you the second example. The second example is found in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. And we've seen this before. Nothing new here. Another great Bible character. Daniel chapter 1 verse 8. This gives us the example of purpose. In Daniel chapter 1 verse 8, it tells us about Daniel. The Bible says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat and the portion which he drank. So I looked up the word purposed because it said Daniel purposed in his heart and that's what triggered everything that came after. The great stand that Daniel made, the example that he became, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego later followed his example. What was all that about? It was about Daniel having something in his heart. The Bible says he purposed in his heart. What does that mean? The word purpose there, it means to determine. It means to decide. You say, preacher, that seems oversimplistic. Well, let me tell you why it's not. Because there's a lot of Christians that have the feeling of following Jesus. There's a lot of Christians that have good intentions about doing the will of God. But the problem is, they've never made up their mind. They've never decided. It's not, I'm going I'm to live for God one day. When you're like Daniel and you purpose in your heart, then you say, I'm living for God starting today. I mean, it's on right now. I'm deciding. That's why I love that hymn that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. Hey, that's good. You know, we, we sing it so casually. I have decided. Have you really? If you have, then that's a big deal. That's a huge step. You know, there's a lot of Christians that haven't made that step. You know, there's a lot of people that haven't made up their mind yet. They just kind of float in and they float out. They float into church. They float out of church. They float into their devotions and out of their devotions, into Christian living and out of Christian living. I mean, they're back and forth, up and down. Hey, listen, they're just floating along by the seat of their pants. Whatever they feel in the moment, that's what they do. Their life don't have any structure, no stability, no consistency. And that's their problem. And they don't even know. I know it sounds cliche. But they are their enemy, their worst enemy. They stand in the way of their own progress because they just don't, they don't make up their mind. They don't purpose in their heart. They don't decide. Hey, let, let me give you an example. How many hours of work would you have put in last week 
if you waited till you felt like it? <laughs> Would you have a paycheck? <laughs> uh, probably not. You know, the Bible helps us understand human nature. Oh, listen, and once you get a dose of that, once you understand how human nature works, it's like the secret that unlocks understanding, okay? Once you understand human nature, then you know you're not going to be a great Christian just by accident. You're not going to fall off the porch on Sunday morning just be an Apostle Paul. Absolutely not. You know why? Because the flesh is weak, the Bible said. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak, and the flesh don't want to. Just like it didn't want to get out of bed this morning or any other morning. Your flesh says, mm, maybe later. Right? And if, and if, look, if that's all there was guiding you, you'd never do anything for God. But you know, that's how some people live their Christian life. Uh, when they feel like it, they're here. When they don't feel like it, they're not here. And look, you, I'm not, you'll still make it to heaven. That's okay. But you're going to miss so much along the way because you just didn't make up your mind. I have decided. Look, when you make up your mind, man, I'm going to work here. I'm going to go. To, I'm getting up in the morning. I'm going to work. Feel like it or don't feel like it. Watch those hours rack up. And then at the end of the week, you get a little reward for that. You get a paycheck. Hey, that's good. I like that. The same is true in the Christian life. What do, what do you think happens when you read your Bible, not just two, three days a week, but every single day? What do you think happens when you pray every single day? Now, fast forward three or four weeks of that. And what kind of momentum do you think you could have going for God if you just made up your mind and got in there every single day? Hey, listen, what if you came to church every Sunday? Every Sunday. What do you think would happen if you came every service? Whew. Say, okay, you're getting fanatical now. <laughs> hey, it's all about your level of commitment. Where are you at? Have you made up your mind? Have you decided to follow Jesus? Because, look, it got to where the rubber meets the road for Daniel. And he just said, hey, look, you know, I'm drawing a line right here. I, I'm a captive in Babylon. And here's this king rolling out a, a menu that's going to violate my faith. And he just had to decide. What are you going to do, Daniel? Are you going to go with the flow? Are you going to do what you feel like? Are you going to follow, this, follow your nose? Or are you going to make a decision? And Daniel said, the only way that I can be faithful is I have to decide. And it started with a decision. Daniel said, you know what? I don't want to defile myself with this king's meat and the portion that he's about to roll out to us. Though it might taste good and be the popular thing, it's not what God wants for me. And he was able... He had enough discernment to separate those two things. And you know, a lot of people just go with whatever the trendy thing is without ever really thinking about it. Is this good for me? Is this what God wants for me? But Daniel made a decision. I want to follow God. I want to please the Lord with my life. So beyond committing his life to the Lord, he already did that. 
Now he's going deeper and he's making a decision. I am not going to do that. I don't know what decision you need to make today, but I'm asking you, if you've never made a decision like this, I'm asking you to make it. Could today be the day you make your decision? Maybe you need to make one of those decisions. Hey, you know what? I am going to read my Bible on a daily basis. Maybe that needs to be your decision today. Some of you need to decide, you know what? I'm going to pray on a daily basis. Some of you need to decide, you know what? I'm going to be faithful to church. What is it for you? Some of you need to decide, I am going to live the things I've learned from the Bible. I'm going to start putting it into practice. I'm talking about at home, at church, at work, all of that. In my neighborhood, I'm going to, I'm going to start doing what the Bible says. It's the example of purpose. When you determine, when you decide, you make a decision... See, and then you've got an anchor point. You've got something to go back to. You've you got something to, to help yourself be faithful with. You, you can say, you know, I decided on that day to live for God, and now I'm going to do it. And when you're tempted to not get out of bed and read your Bible, you can go back and say, nope, nope, <clears throat> hey, <clears throat> I remember making that decision. I'm going to read my Bible. Daniel set a great example for us. But there are many Christians that have lived their Christian life without making some specific decisions about things. And because of that, they're just kind of floundering in those areas. Hey, I'm telling you, every time, not, okay, 99% of the time, all right, based on my experience, that a Christian is not where they, where they think they ought to be in their Christian life. It's because of this principle. They haven't made a decision. They haven't made up their mind. That's why. If you're struggling with some area of temptation, some area where you keep falling and getting back up, falling down, get back up, falling down, get I'm telling you, the reason why that's happening to you is because you haven't made your mind up. You might have made a decision, but your mind hasn't been made up. When Jesus made up his mind in Matthew chapter 4, the devil knew he could no longer tempt him. He, he came to him with this, Boom, Jesus gave an answer. He could tell. His mind's made up. Okay, what did the devil do? He went to another subject. Let's go to something else. He gives the temptation. Jesus gives an answer. What did he say? Well, his mind's made up there. What did he do? He, let's go to another subject. Sometimes the reason why the devil won't leave you alone about a certain thing is because he knows and you know your mind ain't made up about that. And he knows he's got a little room to negotiate. And that's why he keeps coming back over and over and over. Because he sees a gap. If I hit the timing right, I can get in there. <clears throat> Let's look at the next example. We said three examples of commitment. The example of surrender. The example of purpose. Number three, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. If you'll turn the New Testament again. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. <clears throat> And let's look at the example of priority. I hope you can see that each one of these principles is, is kind of building in intensity. You know, it really starts with the first one. It starts with surrender. Just being willing to let God lead your life, okay? Surrender to the Lord. Lord, I'm going to give you my life. And then you, you have purpose and you make a decision. I'm going to do certain things, right? That's, that's another step up. 
And then this is another step up from there, this, this example of, of priority. Let me show it to you. Look at 1 Corinthians 16, and look in verse 15, if you will. <clears throat> and I'm going to be there eventually. Here we go. Verse 15. Paul says, I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia. In other words, they're the first people from that area that, that got saved and gave their hearts to the Lord. And look what happened to them. It says, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. This is the example of priority. Paul said they've addicted themselves. They became addicted to the ministry of the saints. I thought, boy, that's a strange way of saying that. We, we use that word addiction for bad things. And Paul here used it in a good way. He said, man, they just got hooked on Jesus right here. And I like the idea of hooked on Jesus, but I looked up that word addicted anyway because I was just having some questions about that. Lord, what does this mean? And the word addicted means this. It means to arrange in order. It means to prioritize. Now, I want to show you something. There's a lot of Christians that have said, in general, they've just said, Lord, I just want you to have my life and use me and lead me and all that. That's kind of like one level. And then, there's a group of Christians, a smaller group, that have gone to the next level. And they've said, man, by the grace of God, I am going to do fill in the blank, right? They said, I am going to read my Bible, or I am going to be faithful to church, or I am going to live a godly life. You know, and they've made decisions. But can I tell you, the group gets a little smaller <laughs> when we get to 1 Corinthians 16, because these are the people that said, hey, God comes first. Hmm. So, when the Bible says, I have esteemed thy word more than my necessary food, Have you ever heard a person say, well, I'm going to read my Bible before I eat breakfast? What does that mean? It means they made that a priority. What about people who who've decided, I'm going to be faithful to church? And so it doesn't matter if the ball game is scheduled for Sunday or the relatives drop in. It doesn't matter what happens. I mean, they're like, we're coming. We're going to be here. You know what I'm talking about. Hey, there's some people that don't matter what Sunday you pop in the door, they're here every time. Look, that's not an accident. That doesn't mean, oh, they have such a relaxed schedule. You know, they just kind of float in here. No, 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 no. That's what you think? You're, you're mistaken. It's not that they have no time demands. The difference is, they said church is more important than all that other stuff. These are the people that, hey, their kid misses practice on Wednesday night because they come to church. And they just tell the coach, hey, look, we go to church. And if you schedule practice on Wednesday or Sunday, we're not going to be there. So we just want you to know that before the season ever starts. This is what we do. Look, I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm just telling you, this is another level right here where, where you just... You just make it a priority. It says they. He didn't say everybody. 
but he said they did. They addicted themselves to the ministry. What did they do? They, they arranged their priorities and they said, the things of God are going to be more important to us than other stuff. It's not going to be that stuff is our reason not to do this. Right? That's not going to be my reason why I don't go to church, why I don't read my Bible, why I don't witness, why, why I don't live for the Lord. They said, God is going to be my reason why I don't do all that stuff. Hey, I want to ask you a question. Do you think this is important? Everybody thinks it's important for the preacher. Well, the preacher should be here. You know, it should be first for him. But uh, that wasn't the pastor. They were the first people that got saved in that region. Paul was the preacher there, but these people were just people out in the community that, that came to know the Lord as their Savior. And they just decided they loved God enough. They, you know, they grew to this point where they finally just said, hey, we're just going to put God first. You know, like the Bible says in Matthew 6, 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The principle is put God first. And when we put God first in our life, God blesses that. That's a discipleship principle. Jesus taught that to his disciples. This isn't just a, a preacher thing. This is something that all Christians are supposed to be praying about and living out in their lives. And, and these Christians did and it was so impressive to Paul that he wrote about it to the Corinthian church and he told them, hey, guess what? Look what these people are doing. They just addicted themselves. They got excited for the Lord. They put him first. It's prioritized. To arrange in order. To prioritize. Hey, have you ever thought about all the stuff in your life? Have you ever put it in order and decided this is more important than that? This is more important? What, what is the most important thing to you? Different people would answer that. Different. Some people would say, my family's the most important. Some people would say, my job's the most important. Some people would say, my retirement. My possessions. You know, the rich guy that came to Jesus, the young man, he said, I've done all these things. What lack I yet? I want to go to heaven. Jesus said, okay. He said, sell all that stuff and come follow me. And he said, you'll be rewarded in heaven. You think heavenly rewards are of greater value than earthly stuff? then why did that guy hesitate? But he did. The Bible says he walked away sorrowful because he had great possessions. You see, Jesus knew something that was down in his heart that you and I couldn't see. Jesus knew that he loved all his stuff more than he loved God. And Jesus just put his finger on that. He said, yeah, just go sell all that stuff. Come follow me. He didn't tell anybody else that. Why did he tell this young man that? Because he knew what his struggle was, what his priority was. You know, the Bible says we're supposed to love God more than we love everything else. You can love stuff, that's okay, but you can't love that more than you love God. That's not supposed to happen to a Christian. We're supposed to love God first. How can you do that? if he's not your priority. You can't get to the point where you love God more than everything else if he's not more important to you 
than everything else. And that's why I'm saying this is, this is kind of another level of commitment because not all Christians make it to this level right here. This is like the elite level. This is like the Green Beret level. This is, now look, this is where God wants every Christian to be. I'm just telling you, they don't all make it here. But Stephanus did. And so can you. But you can't do this unless you're willing to surrender. And unless you're willing to make a decision. Because it it takes making a decision to do this, doesn't it? This is three examples of commitment. Hey, God keeps his commitments, but are we keeping ours? God wants us to be committed to him. Are you committed? Are you committed to the Lord Jesus? We say we love Jesus. Do we really? Do we show it? Do we live it? Is it a priority? Is he a priority? Let's say it like that. It's about him. It's not about us. It's not about our stuff. It's about Jesus and all that he's done for us. Let me tell you something. Was it David Brainerd who said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Oh, that's powerful stuff. And any time you prioritize the Lord over earthly things, there will be something better in heaven because you did. What a trade. God allows all of us the opportunity to make trades like that. Now, if I told you this morning, hey, you can trade a few dollars for a stock that's worth thousands. You'd be lined up after church. Sign me up for that. I got my money right here. Because you know you're, you're trading something of less value for something that's exponentially of more value. You'd be saying, oh yeah, I want some of that. That's exactly what God is offering us. Those of us who know the Lord, we know this isn't, it's not about this place. This whole world's going to burn up one day. God's going to establish His kingdom. We're going to rule and reign with Him. We're going to live with Him forever. The rewards that we lay up, those heavenly rewards, that's what we're going to live on. And hey, I'm telling you, they're of a whole lot greater value than anything we have down here. Why would we prioritize anything in this life over our Lord? He has so many good things for us. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, how we love you today. How we want to love you more. And Lord, we want to love you more than anything else. So we're asking you to help us do that. Thank you for these wonderful examples in the Bible of people who have committed themselves to you and they've lived for you and they've put you first. Lord, we want to ask you to help us do the same. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, I want to ask you two questions. Have you committed your life to the Lord? If you have, are you keeping that commitment? 